kind of said, hey, well, this is what we're going to do. Here's when we structure it. I was out finding a bunch of other customers. And at our second or third meeting, Angie pulled me aside and said, hey, um, I think we need a little more from you. And we'd like to kind of talk about that. And I said, okay, well, my thought was, well, I can go from 10 hours a week to 12 hours a week or so. And kind of, you know, because I had this sort of business. And he said, no, 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 I, I need you to come work full time for us. From the University of Alabama's Colorado's College Business, it's Bam Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories most people both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens on the show today, Scott Wiley. Scott is a COO of Lucid Drones. I met him while he was on campus talking to some students at the Colorado's Career Center. We previously had Andrew Asher, the CEO of Lucid Drones on, and we want to talk to Scott about his professional journey and how he got to where he is at today. I hope you enjoy this episode. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No problem. So I just want to tell the audience our story of how we met because it's sort of like a random set of occurrences that we crossed paths. You were at the Culver House Career Center and I was walking through doing my rounds, talking to a few people and we just struck up a conversation. Why were you in the Career Center uh, at Alabama during the middle of a week by chance? Yeah, well, I, I I just didn't have anything better to do. No, I <laughs> I, I was invited uh, down to the university uh, to to speak at some lead events, uh, which you know I've learned at the business school are these opportunities to bring in guest speakers to share, you know, conversations and topics with uh, university students around a variety of different things. And um, they asked me to come down. I did a, a session on negotiation, which which. For me, it's kind of like everyday negotiation, that sort of like hardcore sales negotiation. And then I wanted to, to talk with uh, the students around how we leverage digital technology and sort of digital transformation in a startup business. Um, so that's why I was there. And, and really the, the bigger reason is um, I, I used to recruit at Alabama a number of years ago and, and made some great connections. And then fortunately, my daughter is actually a freshman there this year and is in the business school. So um, it, it's a, it's an opportunity for me to give back as well. Hey, roll tied to that. We love recruiting, you know, students uh, here as well, especially if their parents are like, oh, it's actually a pretty cool school. I want to come to some football games. If you're going here from what I've done research on and about you, you were actually a D one soccer player, correct? Yeah, actually. Um, I, yeah, I played college soccer. Um, always grew up playing multiple sports and, um, you know, back then it wasn't quite as organized with youth sports as it is today. So I played soccer, hockey, tennis, squash, um, any, any sport, you know, we kind of just got a group of guys together. I, I grew up in a small college town, which afforded me the opportunity of access to facilities and games and sort of the, the college atmosphere from day one. So I, I would be, always sort of found at a practice or at a game. And, and that was kind of where I grew up. Um, some of my friends' parents were coaches. So I, we would go to the hockey rink in the wintertime and play hockey and we go to the soccer field and the rest of the time. And so I just grew up around it. And um, soccer was, was probably my best opportunity to play in college. Um, so so I, I took that opportunity and uh, had a great experience. When you were in college, obviously you balanced – playing soccer as well as school. What did you study while you were in college? So I actually was in a sports management uh, role at uh, the school I went to. Um, 
back then it was a little more on the physical education track and a little more uh, than the kind of the traditional sports manager role today. Um, you know, it wasn't yesterday, so it was kind of a while ago and, and obviously lots of changed. So that was the track I went on. Um, I, I had always been sort of multitasking, doing multiple things growing up. So being able to be a, an, a student athlete wasn't a huge stretch for me just because of it was kind of what we always did. You know, you always had school, you always had multiple sports. So um, I was lucky enough to get that opportunity. We were talking a little bit before the podcast and you yourself have actually coached a multitude of sports. What have you learned from those experiences about coaching and applying that mentality to a variety of sports, no matter if it's, you know, one-on-one or doubles like in tennis or a whole team like soccer? Yeah. So both my parents were teachers, right? So I sort of had the I was brought up in that culture and that environment of, you know, sort of lesson plans and, you know, following kind of a game plan, whether it's in academics, athletics or, or beyond. And so, um, a lot of what, what I looked at and, and, and a lot of this is sort of retrospective versus in the moment, right? It's, it's, you got two things you can control and I've believed this my whole life and that's your attitude and your act, right? And, and those are two things that, that will carry you a long way, but I, especially younger people need some guidance, right? So, so what is sort of the playbook, right? So what, what is the defining principles and what are the non-negotiables and, and that sort of thing? So I look at my coaching background a little more holistically um, because as I look at sport and as I look at business, there's a, a myriad of transformational skills, right? They, there are skills that cross over, right? So um, how you defend in soccer is very similar to how you defend in basketball, right? So, so they're very similar principles. Um, I think that's a lot of it. And whether it's soccer, hockey, tennis, they're much more of the, I'm going to call them read and react sports, right? You don't really have prescriptive game plans like football or basketball or things like that. So I tend to gravitate towards those quick reaction uh, quick thinking type roles, uh, sorry, sports. And that's kind of how I, I do it in the business world. So I think of a lot of the opportunity in sport does lead into sort of career development and career opportunity because there's a lot of trans transformational skills. I talked to peers because I, I went from, I went from being a 12 year division one head coach to not having a job one day. Right. Like, um, you know, the school went in a different direction and, and I was left sort of without a job and that's not uncommon. And it was probably retrospectively a really good thing, but then you kind of go, okay, what do you do now? Um, and I sort of fell back on my roots and said, okay, here are the things that I felt like I did well coaching, organizing, uh, strategy, developing playbooks and processes. And how do I take that into a business capacity? Um, so fast forward a little bit, I tend to believe in a few things, right? You've got, you've got people, you've got processes and you got systems, right? That's kind of how you think of it in a sports capacity. What you add in a business capacity is a product. So you have a product, people, processes, and systems. So there are a lot of similarities in the peers that are have been in athletics or currently in athletics, I said, guys, what you do today is very similar in business, right? 
if you take like a sales development, business development um, company, or that's kind of the department, well, you, you go out and you recruit people, right? So you, you got to find them, you got to scout them, you got to check the resumes, you got to get their stats, right? You do that in sports, you do that in business. Then you got to bring them in and you got to give them a playbook and some training and some how-to. That's the same in both. Then you got to look at the data and the information and provide some, some coaching based on what you see. Similar in both. And then in both roles, the end goal is to promote them to whatever their, their next opportunity is. So as a college athlete, maybe it's pro. And as a, in a business world, taking a, a business development rep, well, they want to become an account executive and then account manager. So that is where I sort of hung my hat is I, I, I believed wholeheartedly that I knew that the skills I had could transfer over. And so that is kind of the things. And then I've built a lot of information into that. What, one message I will always give to people, and I had a conversation with a gentleman today who's been in business for as long as I have. We have one very strong commonality that is we're lifelong learners, right? I'm always trying to learn something. Um, my time in Alabama, I take away something all the time. Um, what a lot of people don't know, unless you know me well, is my, one of my favorite pastimes is anytime I'm on a college campus, I go watch a practice, an athletic practice. So could be tennis, could be softball, uh, could be, I tend to gravitate towards women's sports because that's what I coached. Could be women's soccer, which by the way, had a phenomenal year at Alabama this year. They did. And I go and I literally just sit in the top row and I watch practice. I love watching a very well-run practice. And so it's still in my blood a little bit, so to speak. Um, Coach Murphy, Alabama runs a great practice, been there a number of times. Um, lucky to watch a bunch of others, but there's just so many similarities. No, I think that's a phenomenal point. I, I nerd out. I was not much of an athlete in high school. I did not play college. I played volleyball in high school, which is weird for, you know, obviously down here, but up in Colorado, you know, we had a men's team, played varsity. I, I loved it. It was fun. But just watching teams practice, especially my younger siblings, they practice and it's a high level of competition, but it's all mental. And my younger brother, he's in eighth grade, but he can sit there and he can call plays both in lacrosse and basketball before it even happens. I'm like, how? And just to feel the game, but also observing and being able to pick up on stuff like you were saying, you can learn from just watching even a practice. Yeah. And I, and I would, I would also think, you know, anybody that's had to, whether you're, you're part of a, <clears throat> a group or like the marching band or other avenues, you still have to have a level of commitment. Right. And, and committing to something, you know, whether it's high school volleyball or something on, you know, you still have to be there on time. You've got to do your part. You got to prepare. Right. So organizational um, teams and, and groups really is an important piece to, I think, everyone's upbringing. It doesn't have to be sports related, but I think it does teach you quite a bit. No, I think it does. Transitioning from your experience in sports, you are obviously the CEO, COO of Lucid Drones. How did you end up there? Because it's a relatively small startup with just over 20 employees. I would assume you've entered at a very early stage. What was your attraction to it? How'd you end up there? And how'd you get to know Andrew, the CEO of Lucid? Yeah, so um, interesting story. So I was I was working at a Fortune 500 company. Um, I, I had a good role. I, you know, I had... had you know, a lot of people reporting me, everything you kind of think, but I, I, I tell people I was comfortably bored. 
right? I, I was there and it was, there was nothing that kind of got me out of bed and got me excited. One of the things that if you're in athletics, especially on the coaching side, is you miss that sort of what gets you out of bed and it's simply competition and, and those sort of things, which most coaches take a little while to get out of your system. So I, I actually met Andrew and the team in 2018. Just started the company. Andrew just graduated from college. Um, they had this really good idea. And then a friend of mine who um, was an advisor for them, he and I met and we, we talked about a number of things that I, I think you need to meet these kids. Um, and so I said, yeah, sure. And so we met and um, at that point, they weren't really ready to do anything formal. So we would meet once a month or once every six weeks and I would help share some ideas about sales and marketing or operations. And and we kind of grew that. And, and then I made a decision that I thought I had a lot to offer from a coaching perspective. And so I started my own co coaching consulting business for businesses. And Andrew and the team agreed to be um, be my first client. And so kind of said, hey, well, this is what we're going to do. Here's when we structure it. I was out finding a bunch of other customers. And at our second or third meeting, Andrew pulled me aside and said, hey, um, I think we need a little more from you. And we'd like to kind of talk about that. And I said, okay, well, my thought was, well, I can go from 10 hours a week to 12 hours a week or so. And kind of, you know, because I had this sort of business. Except he said, no, 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 I, I need you to come work full time for us. And so, you know, I, I just stood up a business and made an investment and sort of had to kind of unpack it. Um, but hopefully your, your audience will get to listen to Andrew at some point. And then I think once you do that, you'll understand why. Andrew is a brilliant um, entrepreneur who is going to have a career like very few. Um, and he was the attracting force for me. And then I knew, I knew deep down I could have a real impact and influence on the business, but also the people. And that's really what I enjoy. So I was hired with the premise that I was going to provide adult supervision, which was sort of my first job <laughs> description. Um, and it's really evolved into um, a really good thing where, where I handle a number of other aspects of the company now. I think that's a very unique story and him approaching you. And from my perspective, at least that's just showing a lot of humbleness and a lot of grace saying, Hey, I don't know what I don't know. Can you please help us with this? I think that's phenomenal, obviously on Andrew's part, but also for you, no offense meant by this, but stepping back and being like, sure, I will help you. You know, this isn't my company, but I believe in what you're putting out there. And I want to help you succeed. I think it's a great testament to your own leadership and being able to know your role inside of an organization. Yeah. Well, I, I also, you know, I like to do things quickly, right? I like to be able to get with Andrew and the management team and, and we can make decisions really quickly. Sometimes they're not the best decisions, but then you can change really quickly, right? So the larger the organization, the harder it is to enact change and it's harder is to move things quickly. That's very normal, common, I don't think that's any different in any major company, right? You just struggle with that. I deal, I think I work best where there's some opportunity to move things really quickly. Um, I am definitely not the smartest person in the room most days. We've got an amazing engineering team, amazing product development team, some, some brilliant minds. The thing that I, I felt strongly that I could do is I've been around the block a few times and I've been around a few different blocks, right? So, so mine was about, stability, organization, right? That sort of thing. Um, I wasn't going to do product advancement like our team can, 
but sometimes the day is spent herding cats as the term is. And I think those are the things that I, I can do. So going to back to what I said is it's about people, processes, and systems. And I think that's really, really kind of what we, we strive to implement here. Now, Lucid Drones is a startup company. It went through Y Combinator, which is an accelerator program that's world-renowned for what it does. Obviously, you came onto the team. You knew about the team before going through that whole process, but you've witnessed for their entire journey. At this stage, Andrew just actually told me on an episode that you guys have launched a second drone, or basically yeah. the ability to deliver packages. A lot of people see these big three-letter titles that people carry around their names, like CEO, COO, and think, oh my gosh, that is daunting. Like, How can they do that? Is there a degree in it? There really isn't a degree. But what do you believe prepped you for being the chief operations officer and leading a team of such young entrepreneurs through this journey and such a, let's say, let's you know, be honest about it, a very quick, a fast paced industry that you guys are in right now. Yeah. So I would start off by telling you, I, I'm not a real titles guy, right? I, I, I think it's okay. I said to the guys like, what would you like me? What are our end goals? What are we trying to accomplish? Where are we trying to get to? And then if, if this, if the shoe fits, wear it, so to speak. Right. So I think, and I think this is a really great question because um, I have this conversation with a lot of senior leaders in uh, that are kind of my age, because what I think we're seeing is we're seeing a, a major influx of generational talent that's coming up and is, I don't want to say missing sort of the key experiential years, but they're, they're accelerating quickly from entry level to director level, VP level really quickly. And um, I think there's an opportunity to provide sort of guidance, resource coaching, because a lot of the, a lot of the experiences you go through, like negotiating with somebody in a true negotiating standpoint where it's really contentious and hard is really important. Um, one of the things I think, you know, failure is, a, is the best teacher and having people be willing to put themselves in a position where they might fail uh, or they might succeed is a really important thing. So to your audience, especially given sort of the age range, like put yourself in a really challenging position, right? Challenge yourself and know that your best lessons are going to be learned from maybe what you feel like are the darkest days. Because um, I would tell you, I, I can go on and on about the exact moments in time in my life where it was really hard, but it was today so beneficial um, that, that, that it's really important to see that. The advantage I think a generation like yours has today is the number of resources are available, right? You, you can truly learn just about anything on YouTube, right? But I'm not sure you can you learn how to manage people on YouTube. You can get principles and best practices and, and understandings and concepts and the, a lot of different things, but to be able to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody and then have that with a group of people, I think there's a different dynamic there. So putting yourself in those positions, um, one of the things Andrew's phenomenal is at is aligning, he's got a sort of personal board of directors, right? Like mentors, advisors, coaches, it's probably anywhere probably up to 20 people that he relies on on a regular basis to vet decisions, to talk through 
and and truthfully, I'm not in that circle, and I'm okay with that because it's it's there's a work circle, right? And then there's sort of the the personal circle, right? And and we we're kind of in the work one, but he has a lot of great resources. So, lifeline learning, build yourself a great personal board of directors that will challenge as well as commend. Those are I'm going to keep building on the themes for you. No, I, I love building on top of it. Stepping stones is what we're building on this podcast. Yeah. Going to your personal life, you have three children. Two of them obviously chose yep. not to go to Alabama, but your youngest did choose Alabama. Could you describe that journey and what was that like for you and what you saw with your daughter coming to Alabama? Yeah, so I, in a previous role, I, I did a, a little bit of recruiting, a little bit of engagement at college campuses. So I'd been to all most of the SEC schools um, on a pretty regular cadence. So I got to kind of lay the land and um, I had to be very careful not to try to sway, you know, one way or the other. Um, so we did the normal tours. She was pretty proactive in her process, really kind of looking at opportunities. Her sister went to Furman University, which is a very, uh, which is a great school, very high end. And, and her, her sister did really well, but had to work really, really hard. Um, and to her credit, she did, she did that. I think, I think um, Taylor was more, I want to go to one where I, where I get what I would call the full experience, right? So I want to go to a school that has big time sports, that has a so- social life that includes sororities, um, but also has enough academic diversity, right, for it. Um, and then she did well in high school. So what her mother and I kind of encouraged was, you know, why not take a step and look at the honors college, right, and, and, and challenge yourself that way. So we kind of had that approach at all the schools we went to. All were pretty similar. The two things that stood about Alabama for her, um, before we ever stepped on campus, everybody we talked to that was either went there or had assembly went there or an uncle went there, they raved about it. Absolutely raved about it. Um, her and I went down for a, a campus visit and went to a softball game. There was 4,800 people at the game. Crazy. It was like a regional game. We just stumbled into it. And I said to her, whoever we're in line with, because it was wrapped around the whole complex, is probably who we're going to be sitting next to, right? So just get used to that. So we ended up sitting next to uh, an Alabama grad who was a retired engineer who is, lives in Pensacola, has a house in Tuscaloosa. My daughter and him spoke the entire game. This is a 17-year-old with a gentleman who is very seasoned. He's probably in his early 70s. They literally connected from pitch one all the way to the end. They, they kept in touch via text. He kept asking me, you know, what's the situation? Um, that, and then we got home, we would go to restaurants, like I had an Alabama hat on. What's the connection? Oh, mm-hmm. I went there. I loved it. And then we kept going through that process. And then, you know, this gentleman that she met would text her and uh, me and ask, answer questions. And then some of the people that I'd known on campus for being there from a recruiting perspective also were that generous with their time. And so the combination of all that led to what I would call as a, the easiest decision of my three kids just based on those facts. And to this day, Taylor has coffee with that gentleman and his wife uh, at least once every month. That's a phenomenal story. And you hear that throughout everyone's experience, like some connection, some person just stepping out of their way. I remember when I was touring and 
while we were walking through in Colorado, not many people come from Colorado to Alabama, at least when I was coming to Alabama, my dad wore an Alabama hat and someone went roll tide. And he was like, wait, you know what this is? And they're like, of course I do. I went there and just stuff like that blows me away. But your own personal connection didn't stop with her just coming here. You actually came down to speak at their career center. Can you talk about that experience and what that was like for you? Yeah, it. at my age, I've made a conscious decision to try to give back as much as I can. Um, I don't know if I have a tremendous amount to offer, but whatever it is, I want to share. Um, I'll share a story. When I, when I was your, you know, roughly your age, um, I was looking for a job. I had a little bit of a connection to um, a, basically like a tennis and fitness club. Think about like these ones that have tennis courts, fitness centers, swimming pool, kind of these community centers. And I had a connection who knew the general manager and he got me uh, to a person that might have a role. I went into that person's office with a sort of a, probably a pretty average resume um, and talked to this person for about 15 minutes. And he looked at me and said, I'm not sure you're the best fit for me, but you got something that I think I need. I'm going to hire. And from that day, I learned more from that gentleman in a short period of time. And we're today still best friends. So that, that is what has pushed me to kind of want to be able to give back to people. Um, I very rarely turn down an opportunity, but if it's an opportunity to speak to what I know are very talented students at Culver house in the business school, and I get to go to Alabama where my daughter is, it's kind of a no brainer. Um, and then what, what kicks in is, well, now I've got to do a good job because I don't want to get back to my daughter that I was just average. Right. So, <laughs> uh, so, so we had a, we, we did it. It was a lot of, uh, fun. Um, my goal is to come back in the fall and to, to speak again and, and hopefully that can continue to grow. And, um, I know there's a great entrepreneurship program in Alabama and I think Andrew would be a, a really good person there. And, and hopefully we can, we can get that working, but I, I just, I want to be in a position to be able to provide the type of guidance that I got when I was that age. And I think that's kind of what drives me today. No, I think that's a phenomenal point in sort of giving back, not through money, but through time, because time is invaluable. And the lessons you can learn just from going to a talk from some random person that you might not know about just sitting in that room, hearing their story is always what I personally love doing and we love to see come back. So thank you for doing that. Looking towards the future and your role, obviously Lucid's still very young. A lot of growth is happening right now. Where do you see yourself, your role expanding as the company grows and as you guys start to reach more and more customers? Yeah, I think it's still a work in progress, right? Sort of at my core, I want to do what's best for the business. Um, I, I do think we have an opportunity. So I think one of the greatest challenges for any startup, when you go into rapid growth and scale mode, right, you can do it too quickly and get too far ahead of yourself and you kind of forget what got you where you are. Um, um, Andrew's very grounded in that, which I, I appreciate. And I, I think some of what I can do help is sort of on the strategic growth initiatives and how do we grow effectively uh, but also sustain what's gotten us where we are today, which is very customer centric. So I really think that's a great opportunity for us. Um, I think as we look at major partnerships today, we've got some pretty big partnerships that I've been heavily involved in, but as we expand outward, you know, what we do today is we sell 
drones kind of one at a time, right? A customer buys a drone, they have some success, they buy another one. You know, we want that to develop into someone that wants to buy five, 10, 25 drones at a time and build out a fleet, right? So I think those are some important conversations that we should be a part of. And, you know, how do we continue to build the, the, the people, the processes and the systems that support where we are today while being able to build the infrastructure that gets us where we want to be in five years? Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're going to go quickly. Our runway is, is really far in front of us. We've got a lot we can do. Um, you know, introducing the, the, the package delivery drone is, is a really interesting one for us. And it was the speed of execution based on what we've done in the past allowed us to move this product forward quickly. And I really do think that's really the, the important piece for our business. Build it first so that we're ready when it needs to go fast. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies try to go fast and what happens, you end up getting really big really quickly. And then all of a sudden now you're in a position where you got too many people, right? And you got to cut and constrict. We, we built, a comp- built a business, right? That's going to be a $6 million business today with 15 people. Mm-hmm. Right? We're going to do 300% growth year over year with, again, with 15 people. Would it be nice to have 50 people? Yes, but it also creates, right, some, some challenges. So uh, effective growth and effective scalability is really kind of w- where I see I could help. That's Scott Wiley, COO of Lucid Drones. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide.